design schools do a really, really poor job of helping you understand the importance of communication. 50% um, of, of good design is, you know, if you come out of design school, 50% uh, of the time, you, know, you would think that I just need to do good work and you'll speak for itself. But that, that's not true, right? Like once you worked in industry for a while, I realized that 50% uh, of good design is like doing the work. The other 50% is you being able to tell a good story and articulating the reasons and motivations and the rationale for your design decisions. Hello, friends. My name is Kirill, and you're listening to my UX career podcast. On this podcast, I'm sharing my personal thoughts on how to start a career path in UX, how to grow your skills and become a better designer. Also, I have conversations with other designers and design leaders trying to show that there are many different perspectives and opinions on the key questions about UX career. So if you're a UX designer or considering becoming one, this podcast will get you better prepared for finding a job in UX. Opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my current or previous employers. And don't forget, this is just one human's point of view. Also, if you're interested in UX career insights and um, some key learnings from my experience, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter about UX career. Uh, go to newsletter.uxcareer.co. Now, back to the episode. Today, I'm speaking with Stan Lai as a part of the Q&A with Design Manager series. Stan is the Director of Experience Design at a digital agency in Vancouver. We talk about his journey in design, how he transitioned to the management role, how he would stand out if he was applying to jobs today, the value of the previous experiences when switching careers, tips on portfolio and resume, and the future of the collaboration between product designers and product managers. Stan also shares the team structure, design and interview process they currently use at Domain7, where he works today and a whole lot more interesting insights for designers looking for a job. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome, Stanley. Hey, nice to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that we could finally find time to chat and um, uh, share what you know with the audience. And I uh, really appreciate your time. So today I'm talking to Stanley Lai from Domain7. He's a director of um, experience design there. And uh, let's, uh, this is obviously a brief, a brief introduction, like a summary, but uh, let's hear from you. What exactly is your, what do you do there? And what's your current role? And what's the scope of ownership there? Yeah, so I'm currently, as you said, the Director of Experience Design at Domain7. And so Domain7 is really an organization where we focus on transformation and change. Uh, so as much as we do the traditional work of UX as an agency to help uh, governments and, you know, uh, universities and other community and nonprofit organizations build and leverage technology to help them serve their communities and their residents or their students better. Uh, we are also interested in the culture of the organization and how um, their organizations shift as they adopt technology. So we op really operate in two spaces, both the technology piece as well as the, the people uh, space as well um, of uh, technology. And so I, I really love the balance of work that we, that we strive for uh, in, in the work that we do there. Um, scope of ownership, um, I lead the design team. A lot of the work I do uh, here is in uh, mentoring and developing our people, developing our practice, um, you know, being uh, in, uh, being the face of design for the organization in a lot of ways with uh, our, our partners, as well as 
um, the, the, the education that we bring to different organizations, help them think differently about the practice and the work of design. Um, so a bit of a broader scope there. And, uh, and, and we have, we have, we have a, a really um, emerging practice in, in new areas of strategic and trans transformation design as well. Uh, and so that's a big part of my efforts uh, in the organization is developing some of those new practices and new verticals uh, as we step into them. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to understand a bit better. What do you mean by uh, working with culture with the, with your clients. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I love. That's one of my favorite parts of the work that we do. Uh, one of the the things that I that I always like to to share, um, and I, when I chat about this, is uh, oftentimes when an organization wants to adopt a piece of technology, such as a new CRM, a new CMS, a new you know kind of business uh, management application that either uh, we are setting up for them or we we build one for them uh, you cannot just take your old culture your old structure your old ways of working to the new technology right one of the great equalizers that technology or digital transformation brings to an organization is access to information a lot of times when you think about information that's the uh, the demarker of hierarchy in an organization because i'm the ceo i know the most information therefore i'm the ceo uh, you know, if you are you know, the person who's uh, at the front lines talking to customers, you know, you, some people might think that in a traditional structure, you're at the bottom of the totem pole because you know the least and right? you're the least power and the least access. I think in today's um, organi in, in organizational life today, um, I think that's turned upside down because as we think about customer centricity, we think about being in front of customers and how important it is for us to be uh, customer obsessed, you know, as some companies might say, uh, it is so important for us to be so connected to that. And who is the most connected to the, who are most connected to the customers in the organization? The people on the front lines, the people that we might traditionally think mm -hmm. as being the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. And so, um, and so, and so there's a big shift there. And so I think with new technology, uh, with more broader access to information, where anyone within an organization uh, has, uh, you know, much more tremendous access to, to knowledge about customers, about the company's operations, about, you know, different opportunities that the, the organization is pursuing. Uh, it really changes the landscape of power and it really changes the landscape of innovation within the organization and where ideas come from. And so we really like to work with organizations to, to shepherd them through that transition. And so to really leverage the opportunity of technology also means to really think differently about the way your organization is going to work and how you relate with the people, not just outside of your organization, but within as well. Uh, and that's a, that's a really, really great place to be in. Mm -hmm. It sounds a bit more like what I would call change management as a huge component to this. Uh, is it a part of the scope of your team? Yeah, um, no, not change management specifically for our team. Uh, one thing I like to, to, to describe and when you think about change management is also like, what is the change you're moving towards, right? That needs to be designed, that needs to be considered, uh, that needs to be understood. And so our design team does step into that space of thinking, where should you actually be? And then when you understand that change management and those practices start to come into play to have that transition happen. Uh, if, if folks are interested, it's actually a space of design called transition design that thinks specifically about that, of how do you create those transitions and how those transitions actually, of those transitions and changes actually need to be designed as well. And design methods and, and, and approaches have a lot of value to, to that conversation, which is really mm -hmm. cool. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, it doesn't, it, it sounds like it's a, quite a unique offering uh, from, from an agency, uh, from a digital agency. Like I don't think I have heard something like this before. I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> Unique value proposition. Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk about your previous steps and like how really, what really led you to the current position and the current, I guess, stage in your career. And uh, maybe you can touch a bit more on the key milestones or key chapters of your career. 
Yeah, um, I'll, I'll try to go through briefly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I started my career in design really um, from Singapore, where I grew up, and and uh, you know a lot of a lot of that started from I think a pivotal point when I was thinking about college and I was wondering about, am I going to do, like IT or like ComSci or am I going to do design, which at that time was this newfangled thing. I think it was still called new media design, you know, when Flash and all that stuff was in the rage, all the rage. Um, and I was like, well, I know the computing stuff, I sort of code, you know, I knew HTML, CSS, and I could do, you know, simple JavaScript and all of that, you know, simple ones, of course. Um, but I was really curious about this new media design and what that was about. And it was about, it was like design, but for computers. So that was really interesting. So that's why I got my start. And it was, it was, it was fascinating, I think, space to be a part of as the space was growing so quickly and there were no rules, right? If you remember, if you remember back in the day of how websites were, every website was different. There was so many permutations of how you could approach it. And it was a fascinating place to be. You get to break the rules because there were no rules. Uh, and then over time, you, you started to figure out what the best practices were and what the uh, approaches were. So from there, uh, you know, I got my start in advertising. Um, and then from there, uh, I came to SFU, uh, did the you know, School of Interactive Art, uh, the program over there, uh, which took a really academic uh, approach to design and design research, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, gave a lot of structure and a lot of uh, really looked at how design is something that can be studied, right? Not just done. Uh, which I really appreciated. And so that got me my start into user experience, as we call it today, um, into thinking about not just uh, the visuals, about not just about, uh, you know, uh, mind share or attention and all those different things, but really thinking about the experience of someone to have. Did they achieve what they set out to do? Uh, was that delightful and enjoyable? Uh, was that uh, did they, did they um, you know, kind of achieve the goals for themselves and for the business, right? Uh, and so starting the way, you know, those, those things that are sometimes held in tension was a really interesting problem to, to, to be dealing with. And so from there, I started going to startups. Uh, Mobify uh, was one of my first jobs. I still remember I had a really good experience there. I had the privilege of a really good boss uh, that taught me a lot and modeled a lot of things. Um, and then from there going to uh, startups as well, um, I was at uh, Charitable Impact for a little bit. Mm. That's where I kind of grew um, from uh, into into kind of a, a design leadership role um, as well. Or that was where my my start was. Uh, and then finally here at Domain Seven, where I joined as a designer, and then uh, you know eventually being the director of uh, a design here as well. Uh, would you be able to share a bit more? How did you transition from the individual contributor, like uh, the crafts? man craftsperson and uh kind of how did you segue into the leadership position and first of all why because why, leadership yeah. is not for everyone so i'm curious to hear kind of what was your what was your journey there absolutely um i would almost describe myself as a reluctant leader in some sense um because this is not a direction that i necessarily saw my career going i was very happy in an ic role and so one of one of the transitions that happened for me was one of my previous jobs at uh, charitable impact where i was uh, joined in fact as a front-end developer because uh, i really wanted to work with them uh, and then moving on to become show them why product design is a thing um, and then did product the design started to build the practice and lead the team there uh, so that was my start. And so that was a really interesting experience. It really shaped a lot of my understanding of the work of leadership, the work of management, and why it's necessary in, in a lot of ways. Um, and what was what happened there was that initially it was me stepping to the work of product design, right? And 
doing product design, um, doing, you know, making some of those decisions, everything we was associated with a product design job, right? Building the wires, you know, figuring out the problems, uh, working with developers, you know, doing a lot of partnership and shepherding the process, right? From from first figuring out the problem to, you know, what's shipped and what's, what's live uh, in production. Um, but one thing that started to strike me very quickly was, uh, it is not enough to know how to do good work. What you really need as well is an environment that allows good work to happen. Uh, you need to have an environment that appreciates the value of design, that um, gives you the room to explore and to make mistakes, uh, that understands that iteration is part of the process and part of the work. You need to make many mistakes so you find the right answer, right? Because you try many different things. Uh, that understands and, and is able to demonstrate the business value to the rest of the organization of why you need to make this investment into a, a space or a process that's fundamentally ambiguous, right? You're stepping into a good design, a good meaty design problem. You really don't know if you're being honest where you're going to end up. And that's the beauty of the design process is you know you get somewhere, but you kind of have to go with the process. You kind of have to go with it. Um, if you know where you're going to end up, then really it's not a very ambiguous or meaty problem. And it's something that uh, you know you can run on best practice or heuristics, right, to know your solution. Um, and so you do really need to work to create that environment where you can comprehensively actually explore a problem space and create value a meaningful value at the end of the day for both the business and the people that you're serving. And, and well, as a charitable impact, you're really exploring the problem of how do we think about the role of philanthropy in Canada, right? And how do we create a new culture of philanthropy? And so that's that's a big, meaty, you know, uh, uh, problem uh, to, to really wrestle with and to think about. Uh, and so that was the transition for me, was the shift from, um, from, from primarily being in IC to uh, doing the work of management because I needed to create that culture and I needed to create an environment that gives the team the room to play uh, and the room to, to really explore and experiment and to find uh, meaningful solutions to, to, to genuinely complex uh, problems there as well. That's a very interesting uh, story. I would like to, to ask additional question though. Yeah. So, and as I understand, in your case, this transition happened when you were at Charitable Impact, right? Mm -hmm. So I wonder, because I've heard this from some folks that sometimes individual contributors, designers, when they want to transition to leadership, they may experience some, I guess, friction or some 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 level of struggle of convincing the leadership team, uh, the leadership of the company, that they have the chops to do that. So it's almost like the leadership team has to, it's almost like a leap of faith and they kind of can delegate and trust that you can do the management job because it's quite a different job. So I wonder if at Charitable Impact, you were lucky or maybe you're just kind of built to this and you kind of, you started doing this uh, before you officially transitioned or before you kind of started taking this this uh, responsibilities. So I wonder how did you make this leap from individual contributor to the management? Yeah, it's it's definitely a very informal um, shift. And I'll say the same thing for Domain 7 where I am right now as well, where, where the shift, you know, in terms of how, how that happens. And it's a common story, I feel, at least for me. Um, you know, I think everyone has a different journey. And so I absolutely did the work first in a lot of ways. And I, I like I said at the beginning, like I, I see myself in some ways as a reluctant leader. So I, I looked at it with a very design lens where like, okay, we need to do good design and I know what the right way to do it or the thing we need to do, but no one's really listening or like no one really understands why we need to mm -hmm. uh, be open to the ambiguity, right? Or recognize that, you know, you time box this and we know the outcomes that we are trying to impact, 
but we don't know what the solution is and we need to have room to be okay with that and to work through it. How do you create an environment where that actually allows us to happen? And so I wasn't thinking about like, uh, oh, we need a manager and that's or a lead, you know, which was my title uh, to make that happen. Like, you know, that wasn't what I was shooting for or that I needed to create. It was, it was really that was a problem that needed to be addressed. And so that then led to the process or the approach that I needed to take to do it. And it's the same at Domain 7 as it was at Charitable Impact, was I, I started to, to build connections across the organizations, talking to folks from different teams, uh, helping them understand the different ways of approaching it. Um, you know, I was the first product designer on the team when I first started. And so, you know, I needed to educate and work with our full stack developers, our product management team, you know, and all of that and, uh, and, and the business uh, partners to, to understand what is, um, the approach for us to solve a problem, right? It's not just about like, uh, oh, I have this user story and like, okay, I'm just gonna build it, right? Uh, it's not that, you, you need to have something there to figure out, you know, what is what is the solution? You know, can you validate it and do all those different things? And who's gonna manage that process? Who needs to kind of run with that? And so you start with you being the designer who's gonna start doing that, you know, over time. Um, and 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 I think a lot of that once uh, over time as you, as you continue to do that, as you uh, have uh, more, uh, your capacity is stretched and people naturally think like, oh yeah, we need, we need headcount. <laughs> we need more people to, to support in this endeavor because well, stands the bottleneck now, right? Like there's not enough time. And, and so that continues to grow. And so then that's where you start to step into the space of like, okay, who needs to manage this process? Who needs to ensure that this process is going well? Who wants to take the ownership of that? And that may or may not be you. Um, I'm really encouraged that a lot of organizations now promote like a dual track progression and all of that, that you know, you don't have to be a manager to progress mm -hmm. in, in your career. Uh, and, and so if, 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 if that side of like the process management, all of that is not for you, like that's okay and do the other stuff. And like my team, uh, the senior designers and principal designers of my team love to rip on me that I call myself a designer, but like all Stan does is Google Sheets, <laughs> right? And Google Docs and Google Slides. That's literally all I spend my time and on. And emails. <laughs> yeah. And someone, I just had someone ask me a question on Figma. I'm like, oh crap, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> the last time I touched Figma was like a year ago or something like that. And it looks completely different now. So. Yeah, the toolkit definitely changes with uh, different responsibilities. I've heard this many, many times. It's almost like uh, presentation. So basically communicating to different uh, levels of leadership and clients potentially. Yeah. Uh, so it's emails, presentations, documents, uh, all that stuff, way more than Figma and the real design stuff. Yeah. The way I, I talk to some folks about it when they ask me about this is that um, it's still the work of design. Your canvas is just very different. So rather than screens and pixels, you're not working with people and processes and systems. Um, the, same, the same skills that you've developed over the years are still extremely relevant, just a different space. Exactly. I completely agree. It's it's the same user-centered design, but in that case, you have different users, they have different needs, but you still have to go through the same process of understanding what they're trying to get out of this mm -hmm. and delivering the right thing to, to, to help with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the management, uh, I guess, role, it's not necessarily mock-ups or specs uh, or anything like that. It's really communication and uh, visions and uh, I know frameworks and strategies and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, even like the headcount structure, so it's it's also kind of just a deliverable for their particular need, right? So it's Absolutely. definitely, I, I completely agree. It's kind of it still starts with understanding your audience and uh, really working uh, to get them to help them. Absolutely. 
Let's talk about the things that you're wishing you when starting your career. So, and obviously a lot has changed uh, since you started and like all the mm -hmm. steps and lessons learned and takeaways from your particular experience, from your journey. Uh, what was maybe surprising to learn? What was really something that maybe thinking about right now, you wishing you at the time when you were starting? Yeah. And this is, this is something that is funny. It's like, um, it is very so different from when I started my career because I'm like true and true design school all the way. I've been to three different design schools on three, from three different countries. Mm. Um, and, and so my background and my step into design was, was purely like deeply academic and I wouldn't have it any other way because that's the way I think, that's the way I learn. And I, and I, I really enjoy that. Um, but one thing that I did realize through that was that design schools do a really, really poor job of helping you understand the importance of communication. 50% um, of design of good design is, you know, if you come out of design school, 50% uh, of the time, you, know, you would think that I just need to do good work and it will speak for itself. But that, that's not true, right? Like once you work in industry for a while, realize that 50% uh, of good design is like doing the work. The other 50% is you being able to tell a good story and articulating the reasons and motivations and the rationale for your design decisions to help people understand that design is not irrational. It's a deeply rational, piece of work and process. Every action that you take has a reason and you need to help people understand that. Um, so good work doesn't sell itself. Uh, you really need to be able to communicate that really well. And one thing that's really interesting from that is that, you know, one very different pathway to design that exists today that didn't exist when, when I first started were uh, the people who go through boot camps or the people who are shifting mid-career to design and UX mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, on one hand, I feel like there's a real struggle that they have uh, you know, trying to get recognized and being acknowledged for the investment that they've made of their time and their skills and the things that they learned there. Mm -hmm. But one thing I've consistently recognized the value of people who have done a mid-career switch, you know, uh, their more mature stage of their, of their life or their, or their careers and switching into design is a lot of them coming from other careers uh, do an excellent job of being of, of communication. You know, they do an excellent job of speaking for themselves, of speaking about their work, of understanding where other people are coming from and helping that drive their design process. And that's something that I really appreciated. And, and, and I think uh, one thing that I tell a lot of folks that I, I, I mentor or I coach uh, who come from a bootcamp or things like that is, is don't undervalue and underestimate how much of a value you bring because you are a natural communicator, at least compared to folks who come from more traditional programs, right? Like a four-year design program or whatever. Uh, is, is you're, you're such a leg up in communication. Uh, and that's something that's so much harder to learn from reading a book or from sitting down somewhere, right? Um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's huge. So, so I think I'll say, to answer your question, running back out, um, the one thing, I would have one thing I would have told myself is communication and to practice that and get really, really good at that uh, and not wait till you're done in school to do that. And I think for the folks who are coming out of the boot camps or, or switching mid-career who are really struggling, it's like you really have a leg up in so many ways because of communication and because of what you've learned from your prior careers. I lo especially love people who come from retail, brilliant communicators, brilliant at understanding what people need. Uh, that's a natural thing you pick up from, from their previous careers and they bring to design. Um, excellent. Anyone yeah. can figure out Figma. Anyone can figure out interaction design rules, right? Uh, you can just need to read a book. Being a good communicator and listening, so much harder. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It takes definitely more time. How would you really, I guess, recommend um, learning the communication skills faster if you haven't had a previous job, if you haven't switched careers? Because from my, what I've seen so far, that it's much easier, not much easier, but more effective to 
to learn this and to practice this when you're in a real work setting, regardless of what the career is. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of more a transferable skill after you experienced working with other people and collaborating and really sometimes maybe hitting some roadblocks when working and trying to mm -hmm. partner with different project or team members. So coming out of school and obviously kind of from the, I guess, the design skills, like the hard skills point of view, you might be more more uh, qualified and like a, a better expert than like a career transitioner. But from the communication skills, as you mentioned, like the, all the design programs that you went through, and I've heard this from many, many folks that um, the communications piece is is downplayed. It's not really highlighted as a, as a critical component to being a successful designer. And I wonder if it's even possible, what do you think? Is it possible to teach that and help students practice this while they're going through these programs? Or is it only when you're in a work, in a work setting? I think it's, um, I'm not sure what the experiences, how, how like, you know, what experiences people have today and, and how the um, design education is structured because I know it's getting better. Um, I, I still um, teach at SFU occasionally now and, and I do see attempts at like shifting the education to reflect communication more. But I will say as well that um, different schools face a different emphasis on it. I know some of my experience in the past presentations are sometimes optional, right? And so I would say, take when you're in school, like take every opportunity to present. Every opportunity you have is you know, go do that. Um, get feedback from people as much as you can, whether it's from your professors or from fellow students on how the presentation went. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, also as well is is take every opportunity to do work outside of class. Um, freelance projects, volunteer for someone who needs, you know, like some sort of project done. Um, there are tons of people with needs out there as well. Um, find opportunity to do those as well and, and uh, put yourself in an environment where you have real constraints, where you actually have to negotiate, where you actually have to tell a story um, to someone who, want, who who needs to be convinced rather than wants to be convinced. Um, and and, uh, and yeah, just take all the hard knocks and, uh, and mm -hmm. learn from those. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Uh, let's move on to uh, a bit more tactical questions. Mm -hmm. uh, thinking from the point of view of a junior designer or an entry-level um, person who is trying to get into the field and considering how much more competition they have today in, the, in this segment of the market, what would you do uh, if you were in their shoes to stand out from, from the rest? Yeah, um, I would say that uh, if you're coming out of a boot camp or you're coming out of like a four-year design program, my encouragement would be to um, do do projects outside of class. Um, I think that really show that helps you stand out very easily because uh, any hiring manager is going to have the same projects across the table again and again and again. Uh, so that that definitely gets stale after a while. Um, so. Uh, if you've done any sort of work, even the smallest work, even the simplest piece of commercial work where someone actually paid you to do it, um, makes a very, very big difference because that means that you had to deal with real constraint and you, had, and you demonstrated enough value that someone actually wanted to pay you for it. Uh, and for me personally, um, even the simplest commercial work you've done and that you've shipped uh, places a high bar over um, any, uh, any sort of schoolwork that someone might have done. Um, yeah, so that's, to, to me, I think that's the easiest way for someone to stand out today to me is, is to do that. And anytime someone has demonstrated that, I always take a, do a double take on their resume or their portfolio to really scrutinize the other parts of it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So the other piece that I, I really appreciate is that, um, and this might be deeply personal, <laughs> so uh, I don't pretend to represent all hiring managers all the okay, time. Totally, that, that, that's but, a good purpose. 
<laughs> yeah, um, is I really do not like extended case studies. So if there's not like case studies that are really long, you go into a lot of detail, it's really not helpful. Um, at the end of the day, they all look the same, you know, and they are uh, say the same things. And it really doesn't tell me anything about you and, and what you're trying to do. Um, what I really want to see is um, in, a, in a good case study is something that's really concise and something that demonstrates to me that you really understood the problem. And it's much harder to say that in less words than more words. Uh, and so are you able to accurately con uh, convey to me that you understand what the real problem here is? Um, any insights that you developed, you know, through your work, your research and all that kind of stuff, you can just list down the methods that you use, but you don't have to tell me exactly how you did it uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and then tell me how you solved it and any sort of impact or any sort of outcome that come on the other side. So get, you know, just be, I would say like, be very concise, demonstrate to me that you really understand and, and know what with precision, what the things that you're trying to do and then save the detail for like the actual interview. Um, that's when I would really want to press into some of those things. And I think if you if you do know what you're doing, um, the your skill and your your knowledge and understanding of the methodology tends to be clear from any screenshots you might demonstrate or or any kind of process that you're describing in terms of how you solve the solution. Um, so it always catches my eye when the case study is brief um, but precise and demonstrates an understanding of the methods, um, because I think a lot of other folks hide behind the verbosity where they don't actually understand what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, so this is a good segue into the the portfolio question. So maybe let's let's go a bit deeper here. So you mentioned on the structure and I guess the format. Um, can you maybe call out any clear mistakes that you can think of that uh, I mean besides the super long and the lack of prioritization and clarity um, projects? Anything else? Yeah, uh, common mistakes are, I think, uh, people who are not uh, transparent about who else they worked on a project with or what their contributions are. That's usually the number question, number one question that you'll get. Um, if I have 100 portfolios that I'm reviewing and yours is one of those where I'm not sure, I'll probably dismiss it, you know, unless the work is outstanding in some way. Uh, but generally, I'll just assume that, you know, uh, you are hiding something. Uh, so, so being clear about contributions is, I think, really, really valuable. Uh, generally, I'll say I like uh, a smaller number of projects as well. Show me that you know um, what jobs you're after or, or what kind of uh, skill set that you have. Um, so, you know, I don't like it when someone has like a bunch of like UX work, a bunch of photography, and a bunch of mm -hmm. whatever. Um, show, show some precision. Like, I mean, by all means, have a personal website that showcases the breadth of your skills. Um, but I think being precise and just show me the three, the three items that you want me to look at, and that's it. Um, don't make me don't make me have to choose choose for me because uh, you you know your work best in some ways. Um, so I find that usually more helpful. Um, the overall structure, I think for me personally, some variation of really three things that I try to look out for is the um, uh, what is the problem you're trying to solve? What insight did you develop, which is usually your research and things like that? And how do you solve the problem? Uh, you know, your solution and describe, you know, the different ways that you solved it. And then finally, any sort of outcomes or uh, impact that came out of it. Uh, with a school project, that usually tends to be a little bit harder. But even if you mentioned about what you learned and mistakes you made and what a second revision looks like, or if you did a second revision, uh, that's usually helpful as well, because that shows a reflective practice that you're someone who's able to learn and teach yourself, which is, I think, what is really valuable in a, in a, in a junior position um, that uh, a manager would want to look for. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. And what about resume? Uh, what what does a great resume look for you? Maybe maybe you can recall some resumes that really kind of burnt into your memory as great examples. 
Yeah. Uh, just be, again, very concise and very clear about your job history and the things that you've done. I would be honest, personally, for me, I almost never look at a resume. I mean, that's wrong. I do look at a resume. I look at your portfolio first. Uh, so have your link big, clear somewhere. Just show me the link. Even if it's clickable, bonus points, don't make me copy and paste. Um, but but yeah, the portfolio absolutely takes priority for me. Um, and after that, for me personally, then I'll look at the resume and I'll see a bit of your history. Um, I like seeing, um, uh, personally for me, like uh, I don't look out for like, you know, any gaps in history or whatever, like, Usually our HR team will catch those things and they'll highlight it for me. But what I personally pay attention uh, more for is uh, what did you do at those jobs? Um, so uh, responsibilities can be helpful, but what do you what do you succeed in? What do you achieve? Um, what were some highlights for you in those jobs? Maybe the things that you learned, maybe things that you experienced, all those things are really helpful. Uh, even if you're a junior uh, and you're coming in with not a lot of design related backgrounds, uh, I'm still excited to know about the things that you've done uh, and, and how connected and whether and there's any connection within those roles to what you uh, do as a designer today or how it influences you. So the resume to me is almost like a life story a little bit um of the influences that you're bringing to your job today and especially for people with mid-career switches um i'll say for me personally don't be embarrassed like some people i've seen are embarrassed about oh i want to hide the fact that you know i did this or i did that or whatever that's not related to design i'm like don't be embarrassed i actually want to see it uh show me that you understand how the background and the the skill sets that you've learned translate to you know the design career you're going to have today um and and that's that's highly highly valuable because uh, something that I really appreciate and try and build a team around is people with diverse experiences and backgrounds that you come with a different perspective. And that's what helps you to solve in problems in an interesting way because you bring different things to the table, right? Um, so so that, I think that's something that's highly valuable to, uh, to, to our resume. And, and that's what I would want to see personally. Yeah, I think it's an amazing point that um, you should not going to be ashamed or hide your previous, uh, I guess, chapters of the career, mm -hmm. especially when you're transitioning career. And back to the point that you made earlier, that um, usually there would be quite some overlap of skills, particularly like in the communication and like working with other people mm -hmm. on the team uh, that you could highlight and you kind of, I guess, massage it to, to be, I guess, somewhat more aligned with what a UX designer would need to do mm -hmm. in this job. So I think it's definitely would be valuable, especially to, I guess, to, to piece together this puzzle of the person's uh, background uh, yeah. when you're trying to get like more diverse uh, team and the team members. And I think all those additional uh, flavors to different experiences definitely exactly. help you achieve that. So I, th I completely, I completely exactly. agree with that. Yeah. I mean, don't oversell yourself, but like be honest yeah, <laughs> and, be, exactly. and being honest is also you know, sharing what, what were the things that you experienced and you, you saw yeah. and you learned. So, yeah. But also be careful and what I kind of seen as well. Some people that just put all their previous stuff and like, I was like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So definitely it shows like just kind of maybe copy pasting from the old resume or something yeah. else. Uh, without really be, being smart about how do you really communicate and articulate mm -hmm. how your profile, how your candidate, um, I guess, experience um, is relevant uh, mm -hmm. to, to this job that you're applying to, which, mm -hmm. which it definitely should be. Absolutely. I've seen a lot of people do um, where they may have like a lot of different jobs or they make career switches. They might just leave the title, like the names, and then just for the ones where you feel highly relevant, like add a description to those, right? And so that also tends to shorten and simplify the resume and 
draws my focus. So. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's all about the focus. Uh, one more question about resumes. Uh, mm -hmm. Talking about, I guess, traditional text-like resumes versus creative format. Uh, what are your thoughts and do you have any preferences? Uh, text all the way for me. Again, this is deeply personal. I think everyone's going to have different expectations. Um, but personally for me, I don't like the bar graphs of like your skill sets, you know, of like where relative to whatever. I mean, everyone's going to put an eight or a nine on everything. Like, what does that tell me? Um, so I, I don't like, to me, it's like, don't, yeah, don't, don't try too hard. It's fine. Like I honestly don't spend more than five or 10 seconds looking at it. I'm just, I know what I'm looking for, which are the things I just talked about. And I just queue in on those. Um, so, so yeah, like I would say, don't sweat it. Just keep it simple. Um, just tell your story. Help me understand who you are. Similarly for the portfolio. Um, I don't need your portfolio to be brilliant. I want your work to be brilliant. Um, so don't overdo and don't stress out on your portfolio. Even if you have a PDF, frankly, that's okay. Don't feel like you need to have a website for me personally. Um, and and uh, I've seen, I've had people who send me like a bunch of PDFs they didn't organize, but the work was brilliant. I'm like, you're a busy person. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's okay. I just want to see your work and, and uh, you know, show me the best, the best way you can have that to me and then let's talk. Right. Um, so so, but, but that's just, that's just me personally. I, I know every hiring manager is going to have different preferences and approaches. Exactly. And the purpose of this particular episode is to really hear your point of view and your, your expectations. Uh, I would like to add like maybe one more comment on what you mentioned earlier about the, the resume and uh, how would you really, how a person could, could, I guess, put some content for a particular role, especially for the, for the entry-level junior role when maybe there are no real, I guess, outcomes or achievements when you were this role. What, what, I, loved what, the, what I loved about what you said is uh, that what did you learn there? Like what exactly maybe did you practice or kind of maybe even like some skills or methods of research that you could um, have like hands-on experience there? I think this would be super helpful from my point of view, especially uh, like, I mean, like being in, in, the, in the hiring manager's shoes, for example, uh, really kind of showing what this person, I guess, has practiced and uh, how, how has this, um, I guess, skill set evolved uh, over those several roles potentially. I think this was a super valuable comment. And I think it's reflective of, at least for me, like one of the most important things that I try to look out for in, uh, when hiring juniors in particular is... Uh, it's two things that really that I'm looking for. One is that you need to know your fundamentals. Like, do you know your craft? Do you like, you don't need to be fantastic at it, but you need to know the basics. And two, are you someone who's reflective and learning? Like, have you demonstrated the capacity to learn? So exactly as you said, when you put in your resume, the things that you learned and you know, the things that you experienced, the things that you reflected upon, mistakes that you made that you learned from, to me, that's a highlight because you know how to teach yourself, you know how to grow. You're gonna be, you're gonna, you are someone who, whom I know if I'm gonna teach, I'm gonna mentor, I'm gonna coach, you're gonna listen and you're going to, to, to engage with me on it. And that's someone who's going to grow you know, in the organization and grow in the role, and I know who's going to do great work. So, 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 so exactly as you said there, I think that, that really reflects that, that focus on the reflective and, and learning um, practice for the individual. Yeah, I think um, uh, growth mindset is a must-have for every designer, like regardless of the level. But if you're a junior entry level, Quite often, this would be the <laughs> primary focus area you would you, you want to put, put focus on, Absolutely. just because you haven't achieved anything yet. So it's, I yeah. think it's definitely, uh, yeah, I would double down on this too. Yeah. Let's talk about the future and what do you think will happen with the I guess the designer like UX designer role as a as a profession itself, uh, and also the UX leadership and uh, maybe like 
yeah, how you you think, and again, we're just guessing, how you think would uh, this industry will change? Yeah, that's actually a big part of the the work that we're doing at the Main 7 right now in terms of how we think about the maturation mm -hmm. of the design discipline and the practice and the industry as a whole, right? Um, there is a really good, um, there is a, I, I'm probably butchering, butchering the pronunciation of her name, but this is design academic uh, that I really appreciate her work is, uh, her name is Sabine Jug Jud Sabine Juginga. I think that's how I pronounce it, Sabine Juginga. Um, so she does really great work around exploring um, the practice of design management and the practice, mm. the, the evolution of design. And then one of the things that she sees is that the escalating path of design maturity within organizations uh, comes in four stages. It starts from um, uh, design as uh, functional and visual, which is like your features and all that kind of stuff. And it goes on to uh, design that is um, uh, uh, focus on like the systems and the organization. So you start thinking about the teams and the dynamics and the services and the processes and interactions between different pieces. And then finally is design as strategy. So design is driving strategy, driving businesses, shaping how businesses are thinking about um, how they want to grow, you know, problems they want to solve, markets they want to enter and all of that. And so uh, design's application in those different domains. And so I think this is what we're going to see, you know, the people who are leading the market or, you know, in, 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 in any industry, uh, you will see design being applied at those highly strategic levels, right? Where design practices, you know, user insight and all those different things are driving the business decisions in the organization. Uh, and then in the mainstream, I think we'll start to see that start to show up more and more as um, typical business practice is to have design within that. And so we will see that uh, uh, even today in like M most MBA programs have some level of design education that's there, right? That's how you know it's mainstream at that point. And so as more of those folks get out in the marketplace, as that influences business thinking more and more, I think we're going to see that evolution. And so that's going to have very big implications for the role of design. Uh, for designers. Uh, today, when you think about designer or UX designer, you're thinking about the screens and interactions and all those things that are solving. Uh, when you look at product designers, uh, different people might define it in a different way, but I would say the distinction of a product designer is that you're not just thinking about the screens, right? You're not just thinking about those things. You're thinking about the business problem, right? What is the business context of the screen or this workflow or this or, or this interaction? And you're, you're, and you're looking at the intersection of those things and ensuring that whatever the design, you know, digital solution you're offering addresses those things as well. So even in that little leap, I think we start to see that evolution of that practice. And we're going to see more and more uh, where we have more emerging practices today of like strategic designers, uh, which is a new position we have in our organization. Uh, you see, you start to see uh, business designers and all these different spaces where design is being applied in those different spaces and those different realms, uh, where you really are not working on the screen, but you're creating a context for the work that we need to do on the screen. Right, developing the strategies, building those businesses, building those business models, and etc. Uh, so even if, and so for the right designer who's interested in those spaces, is an incredible opportunity and, and domain and space for uh, a much larger mandate and influence for design within organizations for the things that you want to do. Uh, but if you're if you're purely interested in just working on the screen and like, you know, more power to you. That's that's amazing stuff that you get to do, and, and I personally enjoy a lot as well. You know, working within that space um, because of the work that other people, other designers are doing, setting that up you know, the, the hope, and at least that I hope, and that we try to do on our team as well, is it creates a greater opportunity for good design to happen, right? Because now you have good strategies, you have user-centered practices coming down all the way from the business models and the business strategies mm -hmm. to the products and the touch points that you'll now be designing. Um, so I, I, that's where I see the evolution is starting to emerge in the expansive role that uh, design will have, which I think is a really exciting space. And we're starting to see that not just in 
uh, traditional legacy businesses that are adopting design, but within startups as well. Uh, some of the startups that I'm advising and stuff like that, uh, you start to see that conversation start to appear there as well, uh, to have design influence at that level, um, the way those organize, those companies and their products are going to be shaped at the highest level. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you think that it means that uh, if there will be more and more product designers uh, showing up in the organizations, how would this affect the product manager's role? How this partnership would work? Because it, it seems to me that there is, I guess, growing overlap of what, um, what, are the, what the expectations are of a product designer versus a product manager or product owner. So have you, have you thought about this? Like, uh, what will happen there? I love that. That was exactly something that I was wrestling with a little bit recently where I had an aha moment. I'm like, we both do the same jobs, don't we? <laughs> we are very, very close. There is an overlap. Yeah. And that's amazing. And I think that's where I love um, the fact that we see there as an overlap rather than I think the, ten the, the, the tendency for, for some, there are some folks in my field is like, oh, I'm stepping on your toes and you're stepping on my toes. Um, and so that overlap, I think, is, is fantastic that we are both aligned in terms of what we're trying to reach for and what we're trying to do. That as a designer, like I want to be in the business to understand um, you know, design decisions I need to make because I want to help you be more effective. And similarly, a good product manager needs to care about the solutions and care about the design and need to understand that space um, so that they can set up the designer to be successful. And I think the, the way that I, I've come to a conclusion, the way I like to talk about it is uh, we both are interested in building a good product but we both come at it from different directions, even if we are overlapping. So the product manager will come from the, from the business perspective and own the business case and own the viability of the idea uh, in terms of, of, uh, of, how, of coming from that angle. And the designer is going to come from the perspective of, is this desirable? Is this something that I actually want, right? Is this something that's not I want, sorry. Is this something that the customers would actually want? And it would actually address the business goals as well uh, in a way that is healthy and effective. And so that tension is, I think, a place to really thrive. And I would almost want to embrace that. And I think when, when I've explained it in that way, it's been helpful to clarify the relationship and really embrace the fact that we both want the same things. And, but we just we, we offer a different perspective to that conversation. Uh, and and that's, that's a lovely thing. That's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Domain 7. And uh, I would love to learn more about how the team is structured today. Mm -hmm. uh, like maybe like what kind of roles you have there, how big is the team and so on. And what design process do you use? Okay, team structure. So at Domain 7, uh, we have a lot of disciplines within the organization. Uh, we have a lot of different groups. Um, and we have designers and developers, uh, obviously, within the team. We have the uh, project support folks, which would be the project manager, project managers, product managers, and the engagement strategists. Uh, and so that's interesting mix there because of the type of clients that we work with, uh, which are generally very high touch, people who are addressing digital and technology for the first time. It's not their day job. And so there's a lot of support and a lot of education that we need to do there. Uh, a lot of the work we do uh, is, as well as I talked about earlier, good design and good technology requires a lot of good communication and most importantly, trust, especially in innovation. Uh, and so our engagement strategists uh, go a long way in developing that trust and nurturing that for a large organization over time uh, for us to be able to make bold, you know, innovative decisions together. Um, so that's the overall structure of the broader organization. Within our design team, uh, because we're an agency, as with most, I think uh, we have a team of good generalists across the board. We have some specialists here and there as well uh, who provide some specific skill sets, such as uh, information architecture, uh, strategic design, um, 
and etc. Uh, visual design as well. Um, but generally, we have a broad team of uh, generalists and experience design um, who uh, really take um, the, the the projects that we work on from end to end, and then specialist support come in uh, where, where where it makes sense. Uh, and so we've, we've started to group uh, organize our teams as well around uh, multidisciplinary uh, project teams. Uh, and so they stay together. You know, the same developers, the same designers, the same project managers stay in a in a team together as a project team, uh, and they go from project to project. And so this helps build uh, kind of the cohesion and the, 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 the habits and the uh, kind of work patterns that they enjoy or that they appreciate uh, and, can, and can take that forward. What about the research? Does it, um, is it expected that a designer would be doing this or you have a research uh, role? Mm -hmm. So strategic design, uh, that's a really good question. So there was an intentional part on, uh, on our recent uh, kind of uh, innovation within our, our team structure is uh, the role of the strategic designer. And we were purposeful in, in not naming that role design researcher uh, mm -hmm. because our position is um, we, we, we do design research and every project, you know, without fail has design research. If the client's not willing to pay for it, we don't want to work with the client. I don't know mm. if I can say that out loud in public. That's but... bold. <laughs> yeah, in general, every project <laughs> has an element of, of user research. And we take that as cornerstone because you cannot genuinely say that you're citizen or resident-centered or student-centered if you don't talk to people, right? Your design mm -hmm. process cannot be user-centered if you're not doing that. And so at least for the context of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so that's a very big important focus for us. And so our researchers are called strategic designers. And we, we call that that because uh, they develop strategy out of uh, user insight, out of customer insight, out of you know, resident insight. Uh, and then from there, from those perspectives, that shapes our product strategy and how we think about what kind of solutions are necessary to effectively meet both the business and uh, consumer goals. Uh, and so we call that role strategic designer. Our experience designers as a whole are generalists. They can do research and all of that. Uh, but depending on the type of complexity and the type of depth that's necessary, uh, then we, we bring different, different strengths to the table uh, mm -hmm. for that as well. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, what about design process? Uh, and I understand it will change depending on the project. That's uh, always the case. But like, what's the, I guess, the ideal uh, flow that you go through? Yeah, so there is uh, five phases of work uh, that, we, that I like to look at in terms of our design process or really our project process overall, um, because we are a design organization. So we start with learning. So learning is about how we start our engagements. We like to, uh, we do that by learning, by listening, by ascertaining the needs that, um, that the, the organization has. So, you know, understanding from there. We also want to emphasize the, the opportunity to engage with stakeholders, both the business stakeholders, the internal stakeholders, as well as the external, the community uh, who's out there. It might be the customers and some of them might not be their customers, but are adjacent and impacted by uh, their decisions as well. Uh, and so we, we, we go through this process of learning to really engage with all those different groups and kind of hear the things that we need to hear to inform uh, the process. Uh, then we go into something we call framing. So framing is about developing strategy and helping us establish, you know, really the boundaries of our sandbox, right? So we're going to frame out the problem space. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do this by synthesizing all those different inputs. You know, we run workshop sessions or co-creative sessions with both community and business stakeholders uh, to really create a space where we all can contribute to decision-making and contribute to how we need to understand the problem and ensure that those different views are reflected. And this is particularly important when we think in a space of, um, public organizations, right? Universities, you know, libraries, mm -hmm. uh, municipal governments, uh, where that, that engagement with the public space is extremely important. You cannot, you cannot not do that. 
So from the framing, we step into something we call forming. So forming is about what I like to call finding the silhouette of our solution. So we don't want to figure out all the deep, dark holes that we need to go down, right? Like the colors, the size of the boxes, all that kind of stuff. But we need to figure out the strategic direction of how we want to solve this problem. You might call it a concept uh, you know, of, of like that approach. Um, and we often would do something like a design sprint or something along those lines. Uh, we never do like a straight up, I wouldn't say never. Uh, I don't find it very often we do a straight up five day design sprint, but we do variations of those sorts of formats to uh, kick off that framing, the forming process, right? Or finding the form of a solution and then start to develop those things even more. Uh, and then from there, we step into the two last phases of our work, the building. So we, that's where we get into like the nuts and bolts of like an agile sprint cycle, you know, iteratively build out our solutions and build out uh, the different pieces of work and then go into launching. We want to launch a pilot, we want to launch an MVP, we want to launch, you know, whatever platform or um, thing that we were doing. There are activities that are involved in that as well in preparing the team for that launch, both from our team and the customer team as well. Um, and so uh, launch activities is there. And one thing that we like to emphasize is we want to create an opportunity for every discipline to be participating in all of that. So even in the design phases, the developers have a big part to play in the creative process. And same similarly in the, in the, in the development or the, the, the software development process, obviously designers have a role to play there as well. You might hit a hard roadblock on a piece of code or a type of architecture. The designer can come in and say, you know what, I can actually make this work a different way that would remove this roadblock and help you get your job get done faster. And you know that, that's a really important part and reason for multidisciplinary teams and how, why teams should be integrated. And so that's, I would say, it's like the five steps or the five phases in which we like to approach our process. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a solid uh, framework. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we will learn, there will be problems and, and we'll continue building on it. Yeah, obviously. And that's kind of always, uh, that, that's always, um, I guess, applicable to, to working yeah. in real world experience with real clients and real people. Yeah. We always iterate and learn um, based on every next learning. Yeah. Uh, Takeaway. Okay, so let's talk about the interview process for a designer. And um, if uh, the second question uh, about the entry level junior roles, um, how frequently, if you do, uh, the company hires um, the, the the junior folks? Yeah. So our interview process looks a little bit different. Like we're in a process right now of evolving what our interview process looks like, but generally what folks can expect is there'll be a first screening call with our uh, recruiters. Uh, so they'll check in a few, you know, ascertain your interests, introduce you a little bit to company, make sure you are, we are aligned in terms of what we're looking for and what you're looking for, some of those early stage questions. Uh, and then from there, usually where we'll go into is to uh, a portfolio review uh, conversation. So usually about an hour, an hour and a half, where we expect you to come in with two or three projects and just share with us the story and, and kind of, you know, really diving deep into some of those things, which is why I say on your website, portfolio website, we don't really need the detail um, because we want to have the opportunity to sit down with you and we will have that deep, dark conversation about all the mistakes and all the different ways and, and you know and all, and having that real deep conversation about your design process and your approach uh, and really really step through that uh, previously we would have followed that up with a whiteboarding process and things like that but generally we've done away with that for most mm -hmm. of our interviews um, as we look at junior and entry level hires we are considering uh, still keeping that for that for that for that space uh, because like we said there are challenges with junior portfolios and things like that where they all tend to look the same and so that's a good chance for us to uh, give them a 
more of an opportunity to show off is the way I like to, to put it, um, to, to demonstrate the skill sets. You're referring to the whiteboarding exercise? The whiteboarding exercise, yeah. And so the way we like to approach it there too as well, and again, I'll say it's evolving, so anyone who does apply might look slightly different, mm -hmm. but uh, we try to make it as equitable as possible. So we time box it, uh, we, we so make it fair for everyone. Uh, if there's any accommodations that people require, we, we will try to meet it. Um, we try to set it up as like just a one hour session that you come into, no preparation required, and you just work on something together. Um, we also often say that we don't really care about this actual solution you end up with. Like we want to have some sort of conclusion, but we are not here to rate the final conclusion or like the outcomes that you have. What we really want to look at is the way you think and the way that you like to approach a problem and the way uh, you hold a conversation with us uh, as we try and work on the problem together. Uh, and those are things that I think we really try to look out for. And so I find that often in a lot of the conversations, it takes off a lot of the pressure for a lot of people uh, to feel like they need to come up with something brilliant in an hour with four people staring at them. Like, no, it's, it's just a conversation. Let's talk about a problem. Let's explore different things together um, and as you would, you know, in any like design team. Obviously, there's a, there'll be a dynamic, you know, you don't, you, you know, we are strangers, you're, you know, it's an interview, uh, but we try and, and, and tone that down as much as we can. Um, but yeah, we're still, we're still figuring that out. You know, we're still figuring out ways to make that even better. So, um, you know, I, I expect that whenever people do apply for the jobs we have open, they will look uh, very different very soon. Got it. And uh, what about hiring uh, junior folks? Yeah, so junior folks, uh, we, we tend to have uh, typically one or two on our team uh, at any one time and right now. Uh, and that is something that we're looking to grow into as well in the coming uh, years, uh, in the coming months and years. Uh, that is an area that I think, uh, especially in Vancouver, uh, there are a lot of really great junior talent. There's a lot of people with uh, really great backgrounds who are bringing really valuable experiences from their previous careers to uh, the design space. Uh, and as we work, you know, in the, in, the, in, the, in the places that we operate in, especially in the public sector, that diversity of experiences is incredibly valuable because we, we are designing for people with such diverse backgrounds and diverse experiences and diverse needs we need to have the same on our team as well. And that's something we need to continuously kind of develop. And so we're not perfect by any means. Um, that is something that we, 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 need, we need to continue paying more attention to. But this is one way that we can continue to address that is to have um, people with different backgrounds. And I think we've got a great talent pool in Vancouver for us to do that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's actually too big of a pool of junior and level folks in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. And Which it creates, uh, creates a challenge for, the, for themselves exactly. um, to, to get yeah. through this noise. Yeah. Awesome. So let's wrap it up. And uh, if somebody wants to reach out and maybe ask a question or just connect and uh, chit chat about design or something else, or maybe clarify something that you mentioned uh, during this uh, conversation, where can they find you? Uh, they can send me an email at stanley at domain7.com or reach out to me on Twitter. You can look me up, uh, underscore Stanley Lai. Um, or um, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there as well. Uh, send me a message. Sounds Happy good. to chat. Yeah, I'll always learning out of a design. Sounds good. Uh, oh, awesome. So, Stanley, thanks for, thanks again for your time and for sharing all these uh, your personal learnings and your expectations as a hiring manager. This is super valuable, and I think a lot of folks will will love this. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Cheers. For having me. Thanks for listening. If you want to see more episodes and support this podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends and colleagues. If you have specific questions you would want me to answer, you can submit them on the UX Career website. Go to uxcareer.co slash questions. Goodbye, friends.